Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, um, I came to teach about hearing the voice of God in the hardest times. Praise the Lord. Hearing the voice of God in the most trying times. Hearing the voice of God in the most testing times. Hearing the voice of God in the most troublesome times. Because it's almost as though I have learned by experience, and I believe many of you will agree with me, that people struggle to hear God when there are turbulences. People struggle to hear God when you have distractions around your life. And if you're living in a generation that has built many gods which cannot speak, you might never know the beauty, the glory, the power in relating with a God who can speak. Praise the Lord Jesus. And this is what I believe. I believe that the only difference between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one which you have believed, and any other God on the earth is that he is not only speaking, but he is true. Every word he speaks will come to pass. The Bible says he will not let his word return unto him void, for it must achieve that which he sends it out to achieve. Nobody can speak into the destiny of a man in truth like a man who knows God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can speak accurate, but not in truth. If you want to speak in truth, the only way you can speak truth is through the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by or through me. Somebody shout, Amen. I've always told us, and this I'll repeat because everyone is on their own level and journey in life. Bible tells us that when the dead hear the voice of the Lord, they what? They live. The reason why God left us his voice, and just not the writings that are written in scripture, uh, giving accounts of the things he has done through men, but the instructions that come where we, therein, sorry, with the truths that we need day by day to live the life of Christianity as we own. The reason why he leaves his word is because he says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. Every man who knows how God speaks, that man has life. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says, my son, incline your ears to my words. Let your heart always meditate upon these words. He tells you, I should constantly observe this word, for these words are life. The Bible says, to them that find them are medicine or health to all 
their flesh. You see, the Bible says, life to them that find them. Not just reading, but finding. There's something wonderful there to ponder. Not just reading the word, but finding. In other words, connecting to the voice of revelation in whatever you read. Because there are people who read the Bible like they're reading newspapers. You cannot find life if you're just getting information. You get life if you can connect wisdom, understanding, and knowledge as you are studying the Word of God. So everyone who studies the Word, like you're here, like I am teaching, you are seeking, you are finding. And it's only that which is planted in your spirit that will give you the results as the Word of God has spoken. The Bible says, take heed of the engrafted Word of God. The engrafted Word of God. He says, that one is able to save you and give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified through faith. But it's that which is engrafted. Not everything you hear can save you, but it's that which is planted. It's that which connects to your spirit in such a deep way. If it can connect to your spirit, then you have answers. That's why I tell people, every time you sit by the word, seek more than to be entertained, strengthened, encouraged, but seek to understand everything being spoken. If you ever listen to a sermon and learn this, if you ever listen to a sermon, and you feel you've not received everything it should give you, take time and go back and listen to it again. And if by the second time you've not received, you feel you've not received everything it should give you, go back the third time and listen to it. It doesn't matter whether you listen to one sermon 10 or 12 times, repeating it until you get every ounce of revelation that God so desires to receive. Many of you pass these things by as your mind understands, but your spirit cannot connect. The consequence of that over the years you start to look like you don't fit in the things you are expected to know. You understand? I've been around somebody who are like, but this person is in church every day. How come they don't look like the things they scream over? And they're the ones even who are writing notes. Which is a good thing, by the way. Because the palest ink is greater than the most retentive memory. But after you write these things, do you go back to ponder? You go back to look into these things deeper and search these things out to prove every ounce like those which were noble in Thessalonica. For the Bible says they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. But I love the word daily. That is why I send you the devotional every morning. Some of you do not even have a clue what it's like to wake up every morning to make sure that you're feeding. You see, some of you, you wake up, you have a devotional, you see it, and then you go for the latest TikTok video. You go for the next WhatsApp video. And heaven is watching you. And you're the same person who's going to say, oh, Jesus, Herib, Herib, Herib me, you know? And when you're praying, you use R and not L. They're the kind who use R instead of L, you know? But you see, what I'm trying to tell you here is, this is a disciplined life that I'm speaking about here. You might not be disciplined in many things, but be disciplined in the Word. Because if you're disciplined in the Word, every other thing in life will start to find its order and discipline. Because He's the author of order. Somebody shout hallelujah. When the Bible says in Acts, they search the scriptures daily. You're supposed to be a seeker of the word daily. First thing in the morning before you even brush your teeth. Get into that thing and read your devotion. Make the confessions of the word that have been given. Then start your day. That's how we start our day. We start our day with God. We finish our day with God. You cannot constantly live that kind of life and not have results in your life. Praise the Lord Jesus. So anyway, 
we find ourselves sometimes in so much trouble. You lost a job. You lost a friend, a person, a spouse, a relative. You're frustrated in your ministry. You wake up sick in your body. You applied for a certain contract and at the verge of it, it collapsed. You invested your money in a business for so many years and it was thriving and then one day, it hit shipwreck and you're back to nothing. I pray for every man at the sound of my voice. May you never see loss. May you never see loss. May you never go backward because some of us, we can't go back from where we came from. Who understands what I'm saying? You can't go back to the sickness you carried years ago. You cannot go back to the poverty some of you have come out of. You die only going back. Somebody shout hallelujah. You cannot go back to the pain and frustration that you have carried over the years. My prayer is that you never go back. Somebody shout amen. Back to what I was saying. So you find yourself in trouble. You find yourself in frustration. You find yourself in some of which you are probably responsible for. And in some instances, there are things that happen that you're not responsible for. You just find yourself a victim of a circumstance. Wherever you are, you find yourself in trouble. And then you desperately want to hear God because you want to come out of this issue. And some of you who have been in salvation for a long time will attest to this, that there is nothing as painful as seeking God when you want to hear Him most and He seems most silent. And in most cases, He's not actually silent. We've just not been taught of the God who speaks in trouble, in testations, in our trials. We've just never been taught how to position ourselves to stay hearing Him in spite of all we go through. Let me tell you, I tell people, you can go through anything in this world, but never find yourself in a circumstance, a situation where you can't hear God. I don't care how much trouble there is in the world, but if you find yourself not hearing God, even if Nothing has yet happened. You are already in trouble. You should fear. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I'm going to give you an example of Israel. God appears to Moses and gives him the mandate to take the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt into the promised land. If you remember the story. And when they come out of Egypt, God parts the sea, sinks the Egyptians, and then they get into dry ground. The Bible tells us it was supposed to be a 14-day journey from the crossing of the river from Egypt into the promised land. But what was supposed to be a 14-day journey became a 40-day journey. And I've preached about that. The Bible says, as Moses himself in his own words says, that when the children of Israel were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, from Egypt, the Bible says God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Bar adventure these people will repent when they see war and return back to Egypt. He realized that they did not have the character to fight the things they were supposed to fight to shorten the journey that was supposed to be long. Ha! You see? This is how God works. If he sees that you can do something in one week, but you don't have the character for the process of that week, and he knows that by him leading you through to do that thing in a week, it will compromise your faith and to a place of denigrating you back to fallen state because you won't be able to handle the frustrations and 
troubles that come with a process as you are not yet ready and prepared for the things that are to come. He would rather take you 30 or 40 years in that same circle until he can get you ready. That's what that portion of scripture means. In fact, if I even had time, I would only preach on that alone and open scripture upon scripture, text upon text to help you understand how to quicken yourself in the processes that God has ordained for you to fulfill the assignment that God has given you. Not all who live with assignments in this world will finish them. And that's a painful thing. Not everybody mandated by God will finish what they were mandated for because some of them don't understand the patterns. They don't understand the process. They don't understand the basic procedure that prepares you, the principles that align you in your positioning, in your disciplining, in your learning, in your adaptation, in your mutation, in whatever you have to evolve into as God fulfills what he has designed you for. God has given us a typical example that I've always given once in a while. That Moses, with a hot temper, could not get into the promised land, even though the Lord had assigned him to take the children of Israel through the promised land. But there's certain things that were not dealt with because he was a consequence of a man who tried to find his own way to fulfill divine purpose and did things the wrong way. And God isolates him for all of those years. By the time the time comes for him to fulfill what God has ordained him to do, he's not yet prepared. The God sending him, he didn't even know. He didn't even know what to tell Pharaoh because the man who had been 40 years without the voice of God. Just one example. One example. But that doesn't mean that there are things Moses did not know that Israel did not know. Oh, plenty. Plenty. Shout amen. So, in what you call the 40 days, some of you think they were simply just going around you know, Mount Seir, which was 38 years. Actually, the scriptures tell us they went around Mount Seir for 38 years. For all the 40 years they spent in the wilderness, 38 were around one mountain. They had gotten so connected to the inheritance of Esau and forgotten the inheritance and the blessing of the firstling that was switched by the work of God through the anointing that he put on Jacob, which becomes Israel the nation. Remember, his name was changed. So, they start to admire second-class citizens, men which were not God's choice by lineage and design because they had lost their identity in so many years of slavery. Because when a man is enslaved for so long, when that man is free, they might not even understand what freedom is. And it is a challenge that I find every time um, I read or see some of how our former enslaved brothers and sisters which were taken off these shores uh, to different parts of the world, I see sometimes how they behave. And you can see that it's many, many years since that liberation now. They can go to school like anybody else. They can have access to many things. Of course, I'm not saying that there's no, you know, a few things that are wanting in us balancing up this thing on the racial grade. But... Generally speaking now, you know, a black man with this skin can own land. They can, you know, have houses. They can own billions. Some of them do. But then the way they act, they still act like they're men enslaved. Because when you look through, there are things by character that you see. We're not just stoked, but they are in the genes somewhere. And the way they act, they really act like they are still trying to scream, I am free. They've not yet come 
you know. For example, you can't find a guy like Zuckerberg, and I've said this once or twice. You can't find Zuckerberg with $4 million on a table taking a picture. You understand? You can't find Warren Buffett with a $20 million watch. You can't find Bill Gates with a bling worth $30 million and a tooth worth $4 million. You can't find that on Messi. These are black boys. You understand what I'm saying? He wants to own seven jets for what? Two for the kids, one for the wife, and one for the dog. You understand what I'm saying? The money. They're on videos with the money. And they're pouring things. Why? Ice. Whatever ice means. That's slavery. That's slavery. Praise the Lord. No, they are rich boys. You go study about these Russian oligarchs. Oh yeah, they are good with yachts, but that's all. Yeah, some people, you see that it's slavery. And you ask yourself, what if this boy got some of that money and threw it in some of the most impoverished parts of the world? What would that look like? Are you following me, child of God? What would that look like? Why would you buy a watch of $20 million? I saw one. He came to Africa and just gave our president shoes. And he left. With the poverty in Uganda, the guy just left. Okay, okay. Apostle, preach the gospel. We came to hear the gospel. No, no, no. I'm trying to help some of you. I don't know who, but I'm trying to help some of you. Because I see some young boys eh, who don't even know how life works. The guy has a shoe. It is more expensive than the house he rents. Look at my blood. Women, help me. I'm fighting for you. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? The guy has a shoe that is more expensive than the house he's what? He's renting. Some is wrong. Brother, something is wrong. You're enslaved. You're screaming freedom. <laughs> Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. You use that money to do something bigger. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Invest in tools. The toys will come later. The toys always come. Yeah. The horse is always before the cart. Not the cart before the what? The horse. Are you learning something? So anyway, 40 years in the wilderness. And 38 spell the indifference in understanding the power of inheritance as it's saluted by the identity they carry because for so many years of slavery, they no longer know what it's like to be the sons of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 32 verses 9, God tells you what they were doing all of those 40 years in the wilderness. He says, For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, which is Israel, is the lot of his inheritance. For... He found him in a desert in the west howling wilderness. Now, who did he find in the desert? This is now when God appears to them in the desert. And what did he do? And he led him about, comma, he instructed him, comma, he kept him as the apple of his eye, as the eagle stirred her nest 
flattereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them bare, and beareth them on her wings. Da, 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 da. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strength God with him. He met Israel in the wilderness, and the Bible says he led them, comma, he instructed them in the wilderness. When they were in the most trying time, because for Israel, the wilderness represented the trying time, a time of testation. The Bible tells you that none of their shoes grew weary. None of their clothes grew old. They were not feeble. Manna fell every day. They're 40, 38, 40 years in the wilderness. But God is saying, even in the wilderness, he found them there in the holy wilderness and started instructing them. The voice of God was with Israel, even in their indifference. Why? Because it's one thing to go through the wilderness, but it's another to prepare you for the promised land. And I must instruct you, or if should have taken you 12 days or 14 days or 11 days, but I will instruct you for 40 years if I have to. And some of them died. Many of them actually died. The generation that enters in is different from most of them that went in. And so you must wonder how then God has to again go back to teach, okay, the younger generation what the older one would not understand or what the older one passed on to teach the younger one for them to understand yet the older ones did not understand. The point is, for all of those 40 years, they were not just eating manna and, and living under the cloud and the flames of fire, leading them by night. No, God instructed them through. That's one, one thing many people miss. That even in the most trying time and in different time of Israel, the voice of God never left them. That is why I've always talked about this issue called the wilderness experience. So we must understand actually that every one of us will eventually, has gone eventually, should eventually go through some sort of wilderness experience. Of course, there are people who are rebellious and they're just paying the price of rebellion only and they're saying they're in the wilderness. But many a time, even so, I've seen to the largest extent of life, all of us go through the wilderness and three things happen. One, I've already said, God will try you in the heart and intention to mature you. Or probably, let me first define the wilderness. What is a wilderness? The wilderness is a situation one time where you find yourself, where the things that used to agree with you, the people that were, you know, that used to aid you, the sources from which you counted your blessing, your advancement, your progress, start to disconnect in such a strange way. And even among men, you start to feel alone. This sort of a dry spell that, you know, spells struggles and strife and testations and, and things are just not moving. There's just, you feel like you're stuck. You feel like something is not moving the way it should move. You feel like you're looking for an answer of a question you probably might not even know. But something is empty. Something is missing. In fact, the literal definition there, he tells you it is that period where God disconnects you from the obvious things and people you've looked always to for help. Imagine one day you have this person who always pays your rent. And then one day they tell you, you know, dear sister, Tiopista, from today, we are not going to be able to pay your rent. And your rent is due. Okay? Then you think carnally, what do I do? You start calling another person, you know, help me, the one who used to help me, stopped helping me, you know. And then you become a serial beggar, 
you know, and then you hop from one person to another, you hop from one person to another until all of them start to see your phone and they look away. Then you're like, oh. she has what? Called. You know, you become a bug. You become, you know, a stone in somebody's foot. They look at, they, they don't even want to look there. See? And usually, let me tell you, people who are perpetual beggars are dodging the voice. If you find yourself perpetually begging, there's something you've not heard and you are usually refusing to hear. There's always some sort of rebellion when you search out on a man who is constantly begging. Either they don't do the principles of the Bible or they have probably refused to align themselves to certain, you know, plantings of the Spirit or they are rebellious to seasons or they are rebellious to authority, but there's always some sort of rebellion if you find yourself perpetually begging. Let me tell you, God has designed life to provide for you. The Bible says the earth was created for the profit of all men. You know what that means? It means that when you were born in this world, there is a power, laws, distinctive that God has designed for the earth to profit you. Read. Ecclesiastes 5.9. He says, Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all men, and the king he himself is served by the field. Thank God when you become born again, you become priests and kings unto the Most High God. The kingly anointing on your life should cause you to profit wherever you are. Praise the Lord Jesus. You cannot ask for food. Clothes. Those are not things that you understand. The Bible says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. That means, if a person who doesn't know God seeks for food, they are seeking for food because they don't have a relationship with God. A Christian should not beg. Because even the birds in the air that eat, the Bible says, they neither sow nor reap. You understand what I'm saying? They don't toil. They don't spin the flowers. But they receive of God's beauty. The birds in the air, they don't gather in bands. But they feed. Then he says, how much more your heavenly father will give unto you these things and you much more better than they. He says, seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, and all these things shall be added unto you. You can't be a seeker and you're lacking. Yes. He always supplies all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Are you following? Let's go back to what I was trying to tell us here. 40 years, yes. The Bible tells us his voice stayed with Israel. And I was telling us, when you enter a wilderness experience where you're disconnected from the aid of people, you're disconnected from the things that are supposed to agree with you, and sometimes you find yourself alone and isolated, he says, one, he will test you into maturation. There are things that will come to test you into maturity. Not because the devil wants to destroy you. No. God wants to just test you into maturity. Praise the Lord. Three, two, sorry. He will kill you. He will kill you. What does it mean to kill? Kill means he will rid you of your carnal sensitivities. He will kill that part which is carnal about you. You'll stop being sensitive and emotional and start to relate with him more from the perspective of the being that you are in Christ. 
He will disconnect you from the pleasures of the world. You know those things that back in the day used to, you know, catch you? How many of you, ever since you started to listen to the word, you lost the test of certain things? Uh, you're dying. You don't know. You understand? There are people here a few years ago, even if they were in the deepest sleep, and then you played <laughs> a shaggy song. At least even in the sleep, their leg would quack, quack. And they're deep. But the demon flows in there, you can't. Uh, do I have a witness? Friday evening, ay, 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 ay. they would see you Saturday morning. Saturday night, they see you again Sunday evening because you came back at 5 a.m. Eh? But now you even wonder, how come I am going to my bed? What's happening to me? Do I have a witness? Hey, it's called death. It's called death. Some of you used to enjoy the bottle. You put this thing in and the world starts turning. But it was the only way you could feel what? Joy. Happiness. Just used to come through that thing. When you put it in, the world becomes colored. Without it, everything is black and white. Now, you just need to hear a good word. You just need to hear a good word. And then you're high on that one for a whole week. Why? Because something died. And you can never be truly delivered from any habit until you die to eat. So wildness is a skill thing. You might never know how many things die. But every time you sit in the presence of God, certain appetites die. Certain pleasures are switched. The things that you used to find fun, you look at them and they are no longer fun. And you're like, eh? yes. Some of you can't even believe on a Thursday you're here. Because there's that couplet you used to go to with your gangos. It was a Thursday. You know, it was known. Every Thursday, we, you know, we catch up. Now you're in the presence of God, catching up with Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Lord is what? The Lord is working. So in the wilderness, and let me tell you, there are many deaths with which we die. That's why when Paul uses the word death, he says, in dying's often. Often means there are many things you die to. And some of you, even though you're dead to the club, you're still alive to some things. But over time, those things will continue dying. It's a journey. Nobody should rush you and don't judge anyone who is not yet there because some of you, you judge some people because they've not died in certain areas, yet you've also not died in some. We just don't tell. Nayenga, you also still have your issues. Am I speaking to somebody? But when Paul is talking about deaths, he says, in deaths often. That's a thing all of us undergo constantly. God continues to purify you by deaths every other day as he kills the pleasures of the carnal self and awakens you to the true spiritual self that God has designed you to be. Somebody shout, Amen. But number three, and what I'm teaching about today, because I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I've never really taken time to talk about it. It teaches you. It teaches you. And that voice is the most important one. In fact, the word wilderness is the Hebrew word called midbar. And midbar comes from the root word davar. And davar is the word that means to speak. Never forget that, to speak. So if somebody's in the wilderness, 
You're usually in a place where God wants to get your attention. And sometimes it's not the frustration of the guy who chucked you than it is for God's intention to take him out because he was a distraction in hearing God for the next level of your life. Sometimes it's not really so much the stepsister and auntie who did witchcraft on you for you to lose the job than it is for God to tell you evolving darling and you're moving from that carital level to the next step of your life but you might be so blind as of to hear him and stay caught up in the history in the things that you have wrongly understood and interpreted because you always think that everything that disconnects you from anything you love or anything that sustains you must be of the devil and in most of the cases, in fact, I have learned this by God, that every wilderness for a child of God is supposed to be a holy place. It's supposed to birth a sacred experience for you to hear God in a deep way. And maybe there were many noises going in your head when that boy was still calling you. Maybe there are many noises going into your head when you still have that job. And sometimes God can say, no, let me allow this thing to get out of your system. Because I need you for your own self. I want to speak to you. I visited a friend sometime in prison in a foreign country. And I asked him, you know, I went with this sorrow of man. Sorry, they arrested you. And the guy told me, Apostle Grace, I thank God that he brought me in prison. I said, what? He told me, yes. Now he has my attention. Yeah. Guys, now he has my attention. I realized that I was moving so fast and I started to lose his voice and he had to do anything by his means and way to get my attention. I am happy where I'm at. I thank God I'm in prison. I'd never had the guy say, I thank God because I'm in prison. But he later came to the realization that he was moving so fast and every other day he was disconnecting from the voice that he so needed and God had to do everything to get his attention. Now, he's in his wilderness, but he hears God most. So, if you asked him what is prison, he looks at many men without in prison than he which is locked up in a cell. Because there are many men walking the surface of this earth. They're living in whatever they call freedom, but they are most in bondage and captivity, and they do not know. And this man in prison is as free as any man can be because every time he puts his head down to pray, he hears God. He hears God. He hears God. So wildernesses, the most troubling times, the most trying times were never designed to kill you. They were designed to get your attention, to hear God as you ought, to go to the next level. Somebody shout hallelujah. Need I to give examples upon examples? Look at Israel in the wilderness. Do you realize that it's in the wilderness that God instructed Israel to be a nation? Every law we know that was given through Moses was given in the wilderness. The statutes and judgments that he gave them for peace, for posterity, for prosperity, and all these other things that are constructed to lead and preserve nations all of those instructions they have received in the wilderness. And they're so deep because even the wisest in the world have proved the same things and have used the same principles and patterns that were handed over to Moses to lead nations as we see them. 
all the nations of the world as you know them, somehow have a connotation that is related directly to the instructions that God gave through Moses to Israel as of how to lead nations. And all of those instructions came through the wilderness. Civilizations like we know have all been designed by revelations that came to Israel in the wilderness. And perhaps I now let us see that the reason why they cannot enter the promised land in 12 days was that they never knew what it's like to be a nation. And if it should take them 40 years, if it should take them sacrificing the indifferent ones because they have been so indoctrinated by the systems, the cultures and traditions, the ethos and whatever of Egypt, and God says, if these ones can't get it, at least I would rather kill them and raise an offspring that has never been in slavery before. But even if it takes me 100 years or 50 years or 60 years, I'll teach and teach until they learn to be a nation. And if they are ready to be a nation, they'll cross over. Because then how do you enter a promised land when you cannot govern? How do you enter a promised land without a moral system? How do you enter a promised land without a political understanding? How do you enter a promised land without an economic interpretation of life. How do you build it? How do you enter a promised land without justice? How? How do you enter a promised land without a pattern of family? So, 40 years trying to teach them to become a nation. It could have been 12. It's amazing the kind of instruction that a man would receive in 12 days that took Israel 40 years because they were not positioned right to hear as land men. So the Bible says that he opens my ears to hear as one which is learned. When God is speaking to people who are learned, He does not speak to them the way He speaks to people which are learning. Do you know what it's like for God to awaken you as a learned man? He wakeneth my ear. He wakeneth my ear. Now that word awakening is deep. Okay? Switched on. Illumination. He illuminates your spirit to hear as a man which is learned. Because He knows if I say this, a thousand interpretations and meanings will come up and agree together into this web of understanding for you that I don't need 20 years to explain it in just one sentence of at a go. You can actually pick it. And there are people in this world who are so quick to understand. I'm talking about this wisdom you were born with because your father was a scientist and so you can, you know, answer some mathematical equations. Uh-uh, no. That is the wisdom of the world. It's fallen. The Bible says it's brought to nothing or naught. It's useless. It has no really end beyond just, you know, what it, it can do to sustain you here. But it has no eternal bearing. The wisdom of God is the thing that defines you beyond what any man can ever teach. Somebody shout hallelujah. And there are men which are awakened to hear God in such a way that they can understand in such a simple sentence. And there are people, it doesn't matter whether you explain to them 30 or 40 years. It's going to be hard for them to understand. That is why in church you see people who we are pleading, you explain, 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 and they don't get it. A guy can come to church and hear you once and get you. There are people, they can come right now in Fanero and sit two weeks and understand. And then you find a guy who's been there eight years, but they don't understand you yet. They assume familiarity is knowing or understanding. Familiarity is not knowing or understanding. No. You can be familiar to a thing you carry no understanding of or wisdom thereof. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's like I've seen many people who are familiar with moving cars and they think they can drive. <laughs> they move cars a lot. 
Praise the Lord. They've been moving cars for years. But then somebody's in the first lane and they're driving slow. Because they were never taught the theory of what? Of driving. There's a difference between moving a car and what? Driving it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I started to study the scripture and I said to see that many of the men and women used by God, they were mostly consecrated in the driest place. Moses. God appears to him in a burning bush to give him the mandate to rescue the children of Israel from Egypt. In a what? In the wilderness. Paul, if you recall in the New Testament, the Bible tells us he's in Damascus teaching Jesus is Lord. And then God calls him into the dry places of Arabia. And in Arabia, the Bible says when he went there, he did not go there for ministry. At least scripture doesn't tell us that Paul went to Arabia for ministry. He actually went to Arabia for consecration. By the time he comes from Arabia into Damascus, three years and then he goes to Jerusalem, his message has changed. And that is the author and master builder of the New Testament like we know it. But that consecration did not begin in Damascus. It was a place somewhere in Arabia, in a dry place. Elijah, when Jezebel is pursuing him to kill him, when he runs through to the cave, it was in the wilderness where God appears to him and shows him the potent successor, which is Elisha, unto whom he casts his mantle for the preservation of the posterity of the prophetic uh, ministry over Israel, the chariot and horseman of Israel. The army of Israel was on one guy and he discovers the man who should take it next because God had to consecrate him in the wilderness. And then he had to instruct him on who to appoint and who to anoint and rank them that whoever shall escape the sword of this one shall not then escape the sword of that one. He started to even define for him the rankings of the spirit, even among the kingly anointings of that time. And there's a teaching there too for ministers. Somebody shout hallelujah. But he needed that still small voice. Jesus Christ, whom you serve and live for. The Bible tells us at one particular point he was taken into the wilderness. The problem with the church is they only teach the testations, the temptations in the wilderness. They don't teach the instructions in the wilderness. Oh, engage me. Engage me. Because, listen, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Luke says. Isn't it? He's led by the Holy Ghost into the what? The wilderness. He's tested by the devil. Like the other three things I told you. You're tested, you're killed and stuff like that. But, in there also, he comes, or in those 40 days of fasting and prayer, he actually received the instructions of his ministry. How do I know? When he comes out of the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee. And the Bible says something happened that had never happened before. And there went out a fame of him through the region. If you study it was after coming out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit that he does his first miracle. Before that wilderness experience, Jesus could teach. He waxed in wisdom and stature. He found favor before God. He grew. But the Bible tells us there was never one single miracle, even though he was 100% God. But from the wilderness experience, we see this man not only carrying a fame all through. Why? Because the miraculous starts with him. In fact, I call that the second dimension of Jesus' ministry. From the wilderness, he begins the miraculous. But many people miss the instructions he received while he was in the wilderness. God taught him. God taught him things concerning the mandate. 
God taught him things concerning healing and the demonstration of power. God taught him quite a number of things. And these are things that through scripture we can actually pick to help men define the first dimension of the spirit, which mostly of it is a preparation stage. And the second dimension of the spirit, where now a man becomes functional. That's where the journeys begin. Even with Paul, the second dimension of the spirit is what introduces him to the Pauline journeys that we read in scripture. They should not move until they are prepared for the second dimension of the spirit. Are you following me, child of God? But then you see people who are first dimensional and they are lasting for the responsibilities or the stewardship that comes from men who are in the second dimension of the spirit. And there's an error because they only judge only in the realm of gift. But there are many other things that should follow the vindication of the spirit because that is the spirit of godliness, the mystery of godliness. That vindication of the spirit must be there. And it's more than just a demonstration of power. There's a vindication that also comes through the wisdom of God that comes through a man who has understood how the second dimension of ministry works. Are you following what I'm saying? But God spoke there. Why did he first consecrate Jacob in the wilderness to change his name before he met Esau? All of these are examples upon examples that sometimes when you are in your hottest, your darkest, most trying time of life, God usually has a way of giving you the grandest idea. Not only of redemption, but of assignment. And some of you, until you enter wildernesses, you will never be assigned right. Or at least God does not assign wrong. But when I say right, I mean by God. Are you following me, child of God? And so, that consecration, that holiness, that sacredness that comes with God allowing certain things to happen to you, that can be the beginning, in fact, of God begetting His dream on your life. Until you get to a point where you build wealth by your own means and then God allows all of that wealth to go and puts you in a certain deliberate wilderness because he wants now to build wealth his own way, but he has to first empty you of the way you thought money should come because you could have killed for money. You could have lied for money. You could have sold a man for money. Then he says, no, let me take this away. Let's allow this to go because it didn't come my way. The Bible says, easy come, easy go. Actually, somewhere in the message version, Proverbs 13, 11. Are you following what I'm saying? So some people hasten to be rich and then you find yourself in a loss because you built it the wrong way. You see? You built it the wrong way and then you find yourself in a spell of poverty. And you're like, hey, God, what's happening to me? And there is no devil there. No. God is saying, I want to bust it the way it should have come out of you. And then instead of you know, learning how to position yourself in the principles that should, you know, resurrect you. Instead, you start finding other ways. You borrow, you do this. But the more you do this, the more it continues to die. The more you pursue the woman, the more complicated she becomes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hey, the more you're trying to make it happen, is the more complicated it becomes. And God is saying, I want to disconnect you from all of these things. So that the thing I built by you one day, when I build it, she won't have, or he won't have, or it won't have, or they will not have. Nobody will say. Hey, that's holiness right there. I don't know whether I'm preaching to somebody. Some of you who have read the story of Steve Jobs, I don't know that you have read his book. I read a few nuggets of his story. And the story is given that one time Steve Jobs is fired from Apple, the very company he found. 
or co-founder. And then he gets into depression. Poor, he lost almost everything. And his name was Soil. And in that deepest, deepest place of wilderness where he felt most isolated by all he trusted and he thought would work with him, the story says it's when he created the next computer, which eventually led to the return of Apple and then he bought it again. And the development of the revolutionary products like iMac, iPod, iPhone, iPad. But God needed a man to lose everything until he would beget his idea through him. And this is hard as I can tell it to you. When you understand the judgments of God, there are days God can strip you to build you right. I've seen it. There are people God can deliberately take out of your life because they are a distraction, even though you are short-sighted to see that they are. And you might whine, oh God, why be why I live in why have a spirit of rejection? No, it's not rejection. It's not rejection, brother. God is consecrating, it's holy. Let me tell you, nobody God has designed to be with you will leave you. He maintains your lot. He maintains your lot. The Bible says it's the portion of your cup. Have faith that nobody that I need can leave. Tell yourself that every day. There is nobody potentially designed by heaven in divine purpose to be a contributing factor to my destiny and walk away without contributing what God has designed them to contribute. That I believe. Because he is the portion of my inheritance and he maintains my lot. Anything that pertains to my destiny, he will maintain everybody and everything along the way. So stop crying about what leaves you. Are you following what I'm saying? And in fact, when you read Steve Jobs' book, he made a statement that I'll never forget. He said, I moved most by intuition than intellect or intelligence. Do you know intuition? Intuition is the place of the conscience, the place where a man hears God. I mean, Steve Jobs, whether he knew or not, he was speaking about the place that he has God. That's the place that begat iMac, iPhone, i whatever. By 25, his net worth had grown to $250 million. Now, if you, you know, consider the inflationary uh, whatever of every year, and then compared to the equivalent of our time, it should have been about $750-something thousand dollars at the age of 25. Records show if Steve Jobs was alive right now, he would be a little above $42 billion. But that comes from a man who was once fired from the very company he co-founded. And God needed to get him fired first to consecrate the design that he had already put in this man as a seed. Some of us who watch basketball, or I love basketball, it's my game. A story is given on Michael Jordan. He loved basketball. He just loved, like any other normal boy would love basketball. And the story is given that one time, his high school coach sends him off the team because he could not cut it enough. He was just not good enough to match the high school. What? Team. And then they dropped him. And in his story, he went almost to depression. And while he's silent, this little young boy in his bed, a voice comes to him and tells him, Get motivated by this rejection and become the greatest player the world has ever seen. Who is following what I'm saying? And they say, even in his own memoir, Michael Jordan tells you that it was that place 
that inspired him most to be the greatest player when they told him he couldn't. Wilderness. Wilderness. Nobody has name like that man when it comes to basketball. Billionaire in dollars. He's done so much in the world. But to get out that thing, to get that treasure out, somebody needed to frustrate him to a point of depression. This woman, J.K. Rowling, who writes Harry Potter, she wrote Harry Potter's books in depression. That's why she made her billions. Do you understand? Some things... Eh? Now, you see, look at Oprah. Eh? Oprah, in her own words, tells you that she is the speaker she is because of the trouble she went through as a child. If she had not had those rejections, if she had not had those abuses, she had no story. It was like any other average woman. But see how God will use everything you thought should make you weak. Everything you thought should isolate you into the wilderness. And he says, that's exactly where my strength is going to be made perfect. In your weakness. In your weakness. I know a very rich lady in this country. She told me her story and said, she used to trade downtown Chikuro. She used to do business. Then one day she invested her money in something and it went south and she lost it everything. And after that frustration of losing everything, she sat in her room once, depressed, suicidal. And an idea popped into her head to make a soft drink. And she's now one of the richest women in this country. But that idea needed her firstly to isolate because if she couldn't isolate, there was so much destruction. Some of you, even the things you think are growing and advancing you, they're actually destructions that sometimes God will take away deliberately because he needs your attention to beget the God dream. That is why when you understand God, no situation is really bad for you. Every situation is a door, is a step, is an opportunity for your next level of progress. I don't care how bad it is, there's still an ounce of God's vision and seed in there. In whatever looks so broken and lost for God to start designing, and he designs or constructs most when you're most broken. I wish i tell you what happened to me in 2013 when I got the vision of Fanero. I wish I had an opportunity to tell some of you what in 2013, I was going through as an individual. Many of you would not believe me. But at that point when you feel most isolated and most misunderstood, heaven starts joining wires. It starts plugging you and unplugs what doesn't fit. And God starts to wire you. Kada goes Shake somebody and tell them God is working on you in spite of your troubles. God is working on you in spite of your troubles. When the Bible says all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes, God means it. Everything is working for your good. Even though it doesn't make sense, it is still working for your good. You might not understand quicker. You might take 40 years like some Israelites. 
You might take 20 years like some Israelites. You might take two days like some of us. But the point is eventually you will land where God has ordained you and anointed you to go. Trust God in the process. It might not work as you want it, but trust God that mm -mm, he's up to something. Let me tell you, it might even be your cause that you're in that trouble. But still trust him that he knew how troublesome you could still be and he has still designed a way out for you. Some of you think you surprised God. No. Samson didn't surprise God. God always knew Samson would mess it up. But he kept the hair growing. He kept the hair growing. The boy might not see, but that strength is going to come back one day. Hey, the only problem was, and the mistake he did, and that's why confession is important in your struggle, he said, let me die with these Philistines. The Bible tells us that that day, Samson killed more people than he had ever killed in all his lifetime. If Samson had prayed, Father, I pray I kill all these beings and walk out. He would have what? Come out. All things work together for I might not explain how you're going to come out of that debt. I don't know who I'm talking to. There's somebody here, the debt on your life is older than you. It's bigger than you. If they combined it, nobody related to you can even pay it with their assets. Begin from there and say, God, maybe I began this thing wrong. Do it right. God is not here to judge you. No, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a justification freely that is through Christ that has designed a way out for you in spite. God loves you. You might have given up on yourself, but he has not yet given up on He's still dealing. He's still planning. He's still reconstructing. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. Jesus has never turned against you. He's always finding another way. Okay, he's messed up here, but let's try to help him here. He will allow certain things to come, but all of that is his expression of love telling you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I might fight with you as I fight for you, but eventually you'll have to get out of that level and go to the next. Every test of your life carries a strand of God's holiness to take you not only out, but for God to reproduce his dream on your life. That is why sometimes when you are in trouble, most like I'm saying, don't seek anything but the voice. If you ever find yourself in trouble, don't judge who came, who didn't come. Who No, you go to God and tell him, I'm here, let's talk. For he says, come now, let us reason together. For even though your sins are as red as what? Yes, he says, I shall clean them. You come and we talk. I know you're mad, but you come and we talk. Some of you, you just give up on God. I hate God. I'm not going to talk to God. I can't even go. No, 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 no. It's your loss. He says, even though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Even though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You come and we talk. The issue is with me and you. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your cousin. It's not your... No, it's me and you come and we talk. Why are you stuck? And if you just hear that voice, you realize some of you, that even in whatever the enemy aimed for bad, there was still a plan for God. Not only to come out of it, but to create a deeper place for you, higher than you were before. That 
is the love of God. And that is why you must understand patience. Because sometimes you are so much in the patience of God to perform than you are in the patience to hear. And God wants you in that place. James chapter 1 verses 3 says, Knowing this, that the train of your faith worketh patience. And it says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire working nothing. Sometimes there are things you must learn to even wait God through and know, okay, I'm going through this. Eh? I'm not going to rush it. Like, was it a television advert which said, never rush a what? Was it a Mirinda? Never rush a Mirinda. Never rush God. I think they copied it from the Bible. Sometimes God... Because you might mess this up and be quick for a short fix that will land you into deeper problems and then find another thing that will again land you into deeper problem and eventually you'll wake up with a maid, Hagar, to give birth to a promise who has understood it. Because you can't wait what God promised through Sarah to come. Are you following what I'm saying? But God sometimes tells you, yeah, 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 I know all of this. But those are the times where you have to now draw back a bit and say, I want to hear your voice. When you hear him, not if, not only will you come out, but you will come out stronger than you went in. Because God wants to show the devil eventually or consequently that even though you're messing with this boy, I have a destiny with him. Even though you're messing with her, I have a story with her that is not yet finished. That is why I tell you, some of you, God had to push you to the hardest place to talk to. Some of you, the dream has begun. The world hasn't yet seen it. We're going to see it in a few months. Some of you, you have not yet received, but it's going to come one day and push you whichever way it comes. That's why Paul says, I glory in my infirmities. For when I am weak, then I know that I am strong. Sometimes when you're in the hardest challenges of your life, that's when you actually have to be most jubilant, most expecting for your Savior to somehow appear and give you the voice that should not only take you out, but position you to the place where you must be wildernesses are holy places. So sometimes it can be by God that these things live. Sometimes it can be by God that they no longer answer your phone call. So you understood? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because there was a time you could not live without his rent. There was a time you could not live without his allowances because the guy put you there, he produced a kid in you. Are you hearing? And then somehow the relationship refused. I tell you, you might even find you were a second woman, you a spare tire of some original one. And you know, she's also praying and God is hearing her prayers. You understand? And then one day you call the guy and he refuses to answer. Not because he has a demon. And some women make mistakes. They look for funny men of God, prophets, apostles, to prophesy to bring the dude back. No, he's telling you, let the man go. I want to provide for you without his call. I want to build you without him. But that moment where you're going to sleep hungry and still feel okay to sleep hungry, then text the message and tell them we are hungry because you've chosen to believe God more than man. That moment where you had no clothes to wear and instead of texting your brother, you say, God, I believe in you, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm going to trust you whether it comes or it doesn't. You're still God, but I'm tired of begging man. I'm tired of calling people who have become an inconvenience too. I'm tired of pleading with people as if they're doing me a favor. Yeah, I know that I have a covenant with you. I have a relationship with... Oh! For me, I have those moments where I just tell myself, I'll never call this one again. If I believe God, 
Help shall come from anywhere. Whether he'll rise up stones, whether he'll use another person, a way will manage to break out, but I will never call this number. When I feel that what is on my life is being denigrated and taken to a place as if I'm not called and anointed by God, brother, I'll never send that text again because I know what is upon my life. I know who I've believed, even in the worst circumstances. There's something in there working for my good. And I know eventually, if it is not through you, God will bring it through another man. But anyway, it shall come. That's called knowing God. Hey, if they won't help you, God will send another one. I mean, if they will not call you, God will send ravens in the sky. If it means bringing things, carrying bread and meat, God will do it. But you are not going to die because one man closed their door on you. You're not going to disappear. You're not going to be destroyed because somebody has refused to sign on your document. If they refuse, you have a God who can change seasons and days, who can change processes and systems and design another world where everybody that should sign your document are with you but then don't sell God cheap don't sell God cheap help shall come another way but it shall come 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 I know your single mother I know the man who produced that kid doesn't provide it's okay don't call him again you are a believer don't report him to lawyers that is not fulfilling his responsibilities as a father. You are a woman of God. You have a relationship with God. Put your hand on your head and say from today, God, you and my kids, you and my kids, you will provide. I know women here who came with nothing, but they're paying for their kids in international school. They're eating well and sleeping well, even doing better than those who have husbands. Why? Because they trusted Jesus Christ. Some of you were raised by single mothers and you've turned out well. What are you talking about? Are you following what I'm saying? Some of us went to Gombeses, others were in Buddha. But look where we are. I'm the one preaching to you. What are you talking about? It's never how you start. It's how you finish. Some went to Cambridge, but they're tuning in Lubega Grace. Who went to Uganda Christian University, Mukono? What are you talking about? God does not despise humble beginnings. Set somebody and tell him God can use you from wherever. Whether you came from Chabakusa, whether you came from Kotido, whether you came from Alebtong, whether you came from Charugaba, it doesn't matter where you came from. It matters that you are here. Eh? It matters that God is directing your steps. It matters that God has kept you. It matters that he has opened ways and doors that no man can ever open. Some of you, where you come from, people don't come out. Now you look at you, you came out. Some of you just need to go two generations back and you smell like a church mouse. Poor. But look at you. You sit in your car and start that engine and it revs. Telling you, God is still working something out of you. There are people watching me on screen. How you even landed in the United States or you landed in, in London or how you landed in Berlin or Germany. You don't even know how. But there is a blessed opportunity that somehow found its way and has sustained you. I, I'm not talking about being sustained by man. I'm talking about that sustenance that can only come from God. 
I'm not promising that some things might not happen. I'm only promising, trust the power that brought you this far. Trust the power that could not get you aborted in your mother's womb. Trust the power that never put polio on you. Trust the power that never killed you with measles. Trust the power that got COVID out of your body when people were dying every night. Some of you never had inhalers or whatever inhalers they were. You never had oxygen. While some rich people are buying oxygen and they died with oxygen cans on their beds. But some of you, all you had was garlic, lemon, Eh, what am I talking about? Honey, you mixed it with water. Boo, 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 boo. I can't die. Boo, 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 boo. I can't die. Boo, 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 boo. I can't die. And you're still here. Being persuaded of this one thing, that he which began a good work in your life, he will see it to accomplishment to the day of Christ. No man can kill you. No man will take you out. No man will frustrate your destiny. No man, no man, no man. Because you're not here by man, but you're here by God. Give him a mighty hand of a praise. Raise your hands and thank God for this word. Come on, let's thank Jesus for this word. Let's thank God for this word. The mystery revealed through love and sacrifice not of my own but of the Son He came to me in peace and held me in His arms and said today I found true love and said today I found true love So it has been since then Up in my father's child When I received his son in me
mistakes but we also recognize a savior who has loved us unconditionally and has plans to make us prosper not to harm us 
and whatever there is in life whatever tests and trials they are whether they are doing or not i have prayed that may these words sink in the spirit of every man to consecrate even the hardest times in life expecting in patient assurance that you'll turn up with an answer for them and that even in the most trying things that some of us are going through there's an answer and that we're going to get answers and that we trust in you the author and finish of our faith to direct our paths because in every change you abide faithful this is what i know for sure that your end shall be greater than your beginning give him a mighty and powerful praise come on all things are working for your good come on clap for god like something wonderful has happened to you a testimony is going to come out of you very soon some of you we are hearing things this week some of you are going to hear next month some of you like i was talking about moses like i was talking about you know jesus like i was talking about paul like i was talking about michael jordan one day i'll be preaching to you on the altar saying that this brother went through this but see what the lord has done this woman went through this but see what the lord has done that can only be so and not otherwise in jesus name amen Let me do one more thing. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you said today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. All you need to do is to repeat these words. Say, Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. I have heard your word today and choose to give you my heart. I believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised for my glory and today I confess him as Lord and Savior of my life Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.